Amen. Uh, thank you to our team for leading us. That is very, very true. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, that the resurrected king is indeed doing something among us and in us and through us. Um, I want to start by mentioning when I was growing up, there was something that I looked forward to every single day that I got off the school bus. And I would get off the school bus at my grandmother's house, my mom's mom and dad. And when I would get off the school bus there, there was something uh, that as I would, uh, I, would, I would get off, start walking up the driveway, it seemed like the driveway was a thousand miles long, but it, it actually was. And about halfway up the driveway, I would, I would experience something. And what I would experience was what she was gifted. Her name was Gladys, what she was so gifted in was making two things, especially sweet tea and homemade fried apple pies, all right? That's why, as a kid, I was plump, all right? So sweet tea and, and homemade pies, and about halfway up the driveway, guess what I would begin to smell? Three things, syrupy apples, fried bread, and butter, all right, I would get up, I would get halfway up the driveway and I would begin to smell this. And the closer that I would get, the more that I would smell it. And I walk in the door and when I would walk in the door, they would be there ready for me um, to consume after a long, hard day in the second grade. They, they were there and they were ready. And here's the thing, it didn't matter where you went on that corner of Cane Creek, it didn't matter where you went, you were going to smell those fried apple, sometimes cherry, fried apple pies. You couldn't get away from it. You couldn't get away from the smell. You couldn't get away from the very, not that you even wanted to, the very idea of what was going on there, which was this smell that permeated the air of fried apple pies. And today we're going to be looking at something that just like that smell that would be cast out of that house and seem to fill up the whole valley that they lived in, there's something else that will permeate wherever it goes and cannot be stopped. And I would say as one of the pastors here at Grace, um, specifically serving in student ministry, I, I am thankful and rejoice that despite what 2020 sends us, and despite what you may go through personally, there is one thing that cannot and will not ever be stopped, and that's the gospel of Jesus. As we move forward in this message and as we move forward as a local church, there is one thing that we must keep the main thing, and that is the gospel, the life-changing message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he said this, For I delivered to you of what was most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The good news of the gospel is that we were lost in sin, yet because of the great love with which God loved us, sent his son Jesus to pay the debt of our sins so that those of us who trust in him will be forgiven and get to spend eternity with him in heaven. The coronavirus won't stop the gospel. Political candidates don't stop the gospel. Cancer 
will not stop the gospel. Persecution, as we're going to find out, will not hinder the gospel. And mine and your agenda will never stop the gospel. I usually wait till toward the end to kind of get like this, but I, I, I can't help it this morning. The message will not be stopped. And today I want to share with you three, three truths that, that really tell us what happens with the gospel. The gospel will advance to and through and in spite of. So the first one is this, the gospel advances to powerful pagans. The gospel advances to powerful pagans. Look at what Paul said. I want you to know, brothers, he's writing back to the Philippians. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is in a, a jail cell in Rome. And not just any random jail cell. He's in what's called the Praetorium. It's, it's the building right beside the palace of Caesar. This place is interesting because of the men who are guarding him. These aren't just ordinary men. These are some of the baddest dudes around. The Imperial Guard, there were around 9,000 of them. And these guys had assassinated several emperors. They had done what they wanted to do. They were kind of like the secret service, but with their own agenda. These men are the ones guarding Paul and for all the things that Paul had gone through, for everything he'd experienced, being beaten, being shipwrecked before, being in prison multiple times, for all he had gone through, he could have wrote to the Philippians, hey, I'm in a dire situation. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. And I don't know how I'm going to be treated next. But his words to them are actually what has happened to me to be placed in this prison with the baddest dudes around has really served to advance the gospel because it would have been difficult for the gospel to get in this place. But because what has happened to me, it is now here, and my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. The missions report that the Philippians are likely to hear is of a, a saint facing execution, facing trial, and he's down and out, but the missions report they got was so much different his chains could have slowed the gospel, yet it did just the opposite. The word advance, Paul used, is, is an interesting word. It means literally to move forward like one who is trailblazing. Like one who is trailblazing. What should have been a hindrance to the gospel has actually served as a catalyst. When you think of the word advance that he used in verse 12, I want you to think of a picture of a forest and, and picture trees and everything is just loaded down with trees and forest and a bulldozer goes in and a bulldozer paves the way for a road to be built so that other vehicles can get into that forest. That's what Paul is doing. He is trailblazing. He's advancing the gospel into a place that it had never been and into a place that was likely going to be hard to get to. One commentator said, though the messenger may be bound in chains, the message cannot. The messenger may be bound in chains, but the message will never be bound in chains. Everyone Paul came into contact with knew though his imprisonment he gives a little bit of a play on words here potentially that his imprisonment was for Christ in Ephesians 3 1 Paul says that he is actually a prisoner of Christ he doesn't even see himself as a prisoner of the Romans instead of an infraction against Rome he sees that his imprisonment was actually due to an infatuation with the Savior Paul's not in prison because of some crime he had committed that landed him there, though it was a crime to the Romans to say that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Paul is in prison, not at the hands of the Romans, he thinks, but at, he's in prison for 
and because of Christ. As I mentioned, the, the, the Romans would say Caesar is Lord, and obviously Paul was not going to say anyone else was Lord but Jesus. And they, like us, saw that power comes in control and wealth and, and gain, yet Paul's message to the Romans was this, that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is where coming to Jesus is most difficult. I would say this, in order to say Jesus is Lord means you have to say you are not. In order to say that Jesus is my king and the one who controls my life means that you have to say I am not the king of my life and I am not the one who controls my life. In order to follow Christ, we must realize that we aren't actually good, yet he is gracious. Following Christ means you, you can't do anything to save yourself because you and I aren't good enough. But Jesus was. This is, not to be, this is not meant to be humiliating. It's actually humbling to realize that there was a Savior who created this world, spoke it into existence, yet came and gave his life so that we could be forgiven of our sin. This is why it's, I would say, not impossible, but extremely hard for a proud person to come to faith in Jesus. Because if you're proud, you have to admit your own shortcoming, which is hard for us to do. It's also not impossible for, it's, we often think it is, for someone who is also proud, and we may be thinking of someone in our mind, it, we think of it as impossible for that person to come to Christ, whoever that person may be. Maybe it's someone in your family, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone you love dearly. You think it is impossible or, or almost impossible for that person to come to Jesus. You gotta remember who's writing this letter. Paul. In Acts 7 and 8, in the first part of Acts 9, was known as a persecutor of Christians, walking days. When he left Jerusalem, he was headed to Damascus in Acts 9, which is going to be a six-day's walk. And he was going to walk six days to persecute Christians. Not, not ride a car for six minutes or six hours. He's going to walk six days to have Christians thrown in jail. Yet on the Damascus road, Jesus came and met him changed his life and saved him. And Paul, who used to imprison people, now is in prison because of the same name with which he used to imprison people. He used to throw people in jail because they were Christians, and now he's proclaiming the same Jesus. And I would say this as a church, may we never get over the truth of God saving people, even, though, even the ones that we think cannot be saved. Jesus didn't come to save good people. Jesus came to save dead people. We can't get over that truth as a church, and I hope we never do. And also know this before we keep going. Wherever you are is exactly where God has placed you to be for the advancement of the gospel. Think about that for a second. Paul could have said, when I get out of prison, man, I'm really going to do it big, and I'm going to travel as many places as I can to share Jesus. But he said, I'm actually in prison, and it served to advance the gospel. This gets us to our second truth. The gospel advances through confident Christ followers. Look what he says. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The word confident means persuaded or the strong conviction. Paul is actually encouraging them that though his chains and persecution 
may seem like it has him down, it's actually made other Christ followers more bold. It's actually made other people more bold. Paul's imprisonment led to confidence, which led to boldness, which led to the gospel advancing in more places than one. He's writing this to to empower Christians, to show them if, if I can be in prison awaiting execution and share Jesus, surely you can too. I would say this, if if Paul can be in prison awaiting execution and can still share Jesus, surely we can too. Throughout history, um, persecution has been the catalyst that has made the gospel advance into different places. I'm I'm a huge church history fanatic. I legitimately love it. I have a book that is sitting on the table where I like to read called The 50 uh, Most Influential Christians That Everyone Should Know About, written by Warren Wiersbe. Love reading that stuff. I I mean, some of y'all, it might bore you to tears, but I love church history. And I love the stories of, of the saints of old who stood in the face of danger without fear or without hindrance. One of my favorites is of of a man who was right after the time of Peter and Paul and John and the apostles and his name, great name. His name was Polycarp. Now, that's a name you, you, you don't hear, but I might name my next kid that. Who knows? Polycarp. When standing before the Roman authorities, he was told to disown the name of Jesus as Lord and live. So disown Jesus as Lord and live or die by being burned at the stake. And this was his response. He said, 80 and six years, not 86, 80 and six years, I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Then another point, this was earlier when he was standing before Herod being asked to praise Caesar as Lord. Polycarp responds with this. This is bold. This is witty. This is strong. He says, if you vainly suppose that I will swear by the genius of Caesar as you request and pretend not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian. Now, if you want to learn the doctrine of Christianity, name a day and give me a hearing. Right in the face of the people who could have him dead. And he says, the one person I'm going to stand behind and for is the king who saved me. We become more confident and we become more bold to declare Jesus when we see others do the same. In my years of student ministry, I've been in and around a student ministry for about 10 years now. And I can say this, that I've seen this in teenagers for so long that if one person will be willing to say, you know what, I will stand boldly for Jesus despite what anybody else thinks, that empowers the people who are watching them. I've seen it and it happens. When we stand boldly for Jesus, it it causes others to be bold also. So I would ask you this question. Will you boldly declare Christ to your kids, to your grandkids, to those you're in school with, to, to those who you frequently see at the store or, or in your workplace? Or here's another, will you boldly declare Christ on social media where it's easily bold to say other things? Will you boldly proclaim Christ on your social media account. Let me just say this. I'm no pro at sharing the gospel. I'm not, but I've got two things that I've got to say regarding this. I personally think that sharing Jesus is the greatest catalyst to, to spiritual growth. You can read your Bible and you can pray and that's stuff we should do. You can go to life group and that's stuff we should do. But I would say this in my own personal life, the times that I've seen my faith grow the most is when I'm sharing Jesus the most. 
I firmly believe that. And then here's the other thing we gotta know is when you get turned down, it doesn't hurt that bad, right? If somebody looks at you and they say, I don't wanna hear about Jesus, don't talk to me about that. If that actually happens, it's not gonna hurt bad. It's not gonna hurt as bad as you think. A few years ago, uh, um, Tom Rainer did a study and it may have changed now, but he said only 5% of unchurched people are actually, actually adamantly opposed to hearing about Jesus, only 5%. Five out of 100 people don't want you to talk to them about Jesus, which obviously means 95 out of 100 would be willing to listen. So will we confidently proclaim Jesus to those near us, to those we come into contact with? Will you do that? So the gospel advances, um, the gospel advances as, as Paul said in, in, in right here to, through confident Christ followers. And then thirdly, the gospel advances in spite of pretentious preachers. He says this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I what? Rejoice. Paul says there are some, meaning these these people who preach Christ with good motives are brothers in Christ, and these who preach Christ with selfish motives, he says, are also brothers. They just preach with a different motive. These aren't people preaching a different gospel. They just simply don't like Paul. Commentators are unsure why they don't actually like him, but perhaps it's because he's popular and they want more recognition, or perhaps it's it's that their view of him is lessened because after all, Paul, if you, were, if you were worth anything, you wouldn't actually be in prison. Paul, if you were worth anything, you could get out of prison and you could overcome your current situation. Either way, they, they don't like him and they're preaching Christ, but they're preaching it with selfish motives. These preachers are preaching out of the motive of self-ambition. Self-ambition here means electioneering or intriguing for office. It's like you're a political candidate who is, who is talking about how good you are and about how everyone else is not good. Perhaps these preachers were jealous because of Paul's influence on the Philippians and they wanted the same influence. I'll say this too, that preachers, anyone who preaches the gospel or pastors are human too. May not always get along, are going to make mistakes, are going to say things sometimes that are not correct. We're, we're, we're going to say things sometimes that's like, man, I, I, I wish I hadn't have said that that way, or I just flat out made a mistake. But here's the thing. Paul looks at these preachers who are pretentious, and though they are jealous and they're taunting him, his response isn't to do the same thing back. If you're like me, however, I, I, I will watch, I've seen videos and will watch them sometimes and they're actually quite fun to watch. If you um, it, it's like type in YouTube, something along the lines of like top 10 times, a, I'm just making this up, top 10 times a, um, a bully gets, gets what's coming to him or top 10 times a showboater um, gets what's coming to him. And what happens is you're watching these boxing matches or these fights or in a, in a ball game and somebody is just running their mouth and they're talking and they're, they're absolutely showboating and the next thing that happens to them, and we all like it when that showboater gets what? Knocked out. You can say it. We love seeing that. 
We love it whenever we see someone who, who is taunting and showboating all of a sudden about minute into round one just gets a right hook that lands them on their back. We love that. Paul doesn't do that, and he could have. Paul doesn't say, these guys are taunting me because they're jealous and they're pretentious. He doesn't completely discount them. Instead, he says this, these guys are, are, are harming, whether they're harming me or not, I don't care as long as they still preach Jesus. If these guys are harming me, that's whatever. But you know what? As long as they preach Christ, I will rejoice. And he says it twice. Yes, I will rejoice. His number one aim is that the gospel advances no matter what it means for him or anyone else. That's a hard truth, I think, for us to grasp, for me at least. He didn't care what was happening to him or anyone else as long as Jesus was being preached and the gospel was advancing. And I would say my desire for us and my desire for myself and my desire for our church is that we can proclaim Christ, live for Christ, and then leave our reputation up to Christ. If we can proclaim Jesus, live for Jesus, then guess what? It's in his hands what our reputation is like. I've been on several mission trips and, and all over the spectrum from, from to, to the poor to, to people who are more well-to-do. And it seems as though when you go on a mission trip, it's easy to share Jesus. And it's easy to proclaim the gospel because your reputation is not the balance. In about a week, you'll get to leave. But then you get back, and what seems to happen is that all of a sudden, sharing Jesus with the person that I saw the week before the mission trip is difficult because they know you. And you may just be worried about what they're going to think of you. My hope for students of this church and for moms and dads and for singles is to have the biblical mindset that Paul had in Romans 1.16. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Will you be unashamed to take the gospel to the powerful, to the weak, Will you be unashamed to take the gospel to the poor or to the rich, to those most similar to you or to those very different, to your neighbor, to your boss, to your coworker, to the family member whom you love dearly that doesn't know Jesus? Will you take the gospel to them? Because when you do, Paul says the gospel is the power of God to salvation and it advances even when nothing else can or will. I'm going to ask our praise team as I'm wrapping up to come on up to the stage. We're going to sing a song in a moment. Paul said clearly the gospel advances to powerful pagans, people that we think it's going to be hard for the gospel to get to. The gospel advances through those Christians, those Christ followers who are confident, but the gospel advances in spite of those people who preach it or or share it with selfish motives. I would say one of the, as I mentioned, church history, one of the greatest statements that I can recall in, uh, in, in the life of the history of the church is a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. And this statement, I remember a couple of years back, uh, I was at an engagement speaking, and I was thrown off by something that happened. And when I was thrown off by that thing that happened, it, it kind of threw me for a, for a loop. 
And I was like, I feel like I need to, to clear up what just happened before me. What do I do here? And Jerry happened to be there and, and he said, just remember Spurgeon's words, so I'll share them with you. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. This is the gospel. We take the gospel to places that are hard to reach. We take the gospel to our neighbors who live right beside us. Either way, we must realize that in a, in a world when it seems like everything is being contained and everything is, is, is being maybe muted to some degree, there is one message that will not be stopped and it's the gospel of Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna sing a song. We're gonna sing a chorus. And this chorus that we're gonna be singing talks about our hope. And our hope is on nothing more. Our hope isn't on what's gonna happen a month from now, what's gonna happen a few months from now. Our hope's not on any of those things. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing together.